All right, everybody, today on the Fitness Retention Podcast, we have got Bill McBride, an industry heavy hitter. He's the co-founder, president, and CEO of Active Wellness and Active Sports Club and BMC3 Consulting. Bill has been in the industry for a while, and he offers a ton of really great insight on couple of my favorite subjects, how to ask questions and then how to read between the lines in the answers. Um, and he's also got a really good amount of insight on the international fitness market and how brands are competing abroad, how they're staying ahead here. He's just got a really holistic view, which is something that I appreciate. Um, and it's also for me, it's just a great opportunity to learn. And I hope it's the same opportunity for, for the listeners out there. I want to mention that I will be at URSA next week, beginning of March. Um, I'm really excited. It's my first time there. If you would like to meet up and shake hands, get introduced, uh, put a name to a face, whatever you want to call it, I would love the opportunity to do so. You can reach out to me at A-G-Y-M-O-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. That's A-G-Motion at gmail.com. And we can set up a time to meet. All right, here we go with Bill McBride on the Fitness Retention Podcast. The Fitness Retention Podcast would like to welcome Bill McBride. Bill, how are you? Good. How are you today, Alex? Uh, I am excellent. Thank you. Um, As I mentioned to you, the Marie Kondo method has taken over my house, and uh, I'm feeling a lot less cluttered in my everyday life, so that's a big win. I know. Simplicity is is cleansing. (laughs) Yes. Um, You had asked for a brief intro. So for those of you who may not know Bill, he's the co-founder and president of Active Wellness, also the president of Active Sports Clubs, former chairman of URSA, and founder of BMC3 Consulting. I think that was under 10 seconds. Did I mess anything up? No, you got it good. Thank you. Okay, that was easy. Um, So Bill, for the people who may not know who you are or know your name and don't necessarily know what you do, can you give like a one or two minute background about your career in the fitness industry and then we'll dive into it yeah I uh, I've been in the industry since my uh, let's see sophomore year in college um, okay. I started uh, in college working summers and then working in, in, in school um, after classes and I've been working in the health ministry my whole career so came out of the, the sales um, background selling memberships um, eventually became a certified personal trainer through ACE uh, but really mostly worked in the sales and management aspects of the industry. So went from North Carolina to Northern Virginia to, uh, to San Francisco, and now I reside in Arizona, but um, my company is based in, uh, in San Francisco. And so you're running three gyms here in California, right? Yes, we, we have three clubs that we own, um, one in uh, Oakland, California, one in San Francisco, um, and one out in Scotts Valley. Um, and then we manage uh, about 55 sites in 10 states throughout the U.S. So okay. Active Wellness is a management services company that uh, specializes in uh, managing fitness and, and fitness programs. And then BMC3 is a consulting 
uh, agency that uh, works with clients uh, on an individual basis with regard to their business needs. So when we're looking at like the entire industry or the entire fitness market, you've got gyms in many states that you're managing and helping operate. And then you also have some here in California where I'm from in San Francisco. What do you, what do you notice are like the big trends that are different state to state? Is there anything that you can point out and be like, Oh, it's so different in New Hampshire than it is in California or are the trends kind of similar? Yeah, the trends are, are similar. There's different stages of, of life cycle of a trend. You know, for example, um, certain programs get to some markets a little after they get to some of the, the, the coastal markets, uh, the New York, you know, the West Coast and so on. But it's interesting, Alex, I just got back from China, uh, Shanghai, and was talking to some operators that, that operate in Taiwan and, and throughout China. And the similarities of the consumer throughout the world are, are remarkably um, the same. You, I mean, you have different, uh, different interests, different you know, cultural aspects, different socioeconomic ability to, to pay and so on. But the fundamental aspects of behavioral change and exercise and fitness for the consumer is, is pretty universal. Um, which, which is interesting. You know, I was talking to this one operator and they run the same programming in their studios in Taiwan that they do in Shanghai and, uh, and Beijing, which are, you know, completely different markets. Yeah. Um, and so cycling, yoga, those kinds of things, they're, um, they're, they're very consistent throughout not only the country, but the world. Um, what is interesting is climate though. Um, I just got back from New Hampshire and, you know, we're in Arizona right now. People are doing a lot of outside activities based on the, the 70 plus degree temperature, you know, negative nine in, in, in New Hampshire uh, forces people to be indoors. So you do have a, a cyclical aspect of when people can be outside and when they're indoors, you know, in different markets. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's more similarities than differences with regard to the fitness piece. Um, obviously, there's, there's differences with regard to competitive landscape and, um, income and, and cost of membership and some of those other things. So um, I've had I've been fortunate enough to have a ton of guests on the show who get to make going to g different gyms their occupation, their living. Um, are there any brands or are there any processes or experiences that really jump out of you, jump out at you as innovative or different or like game changers in the industry that you've experienced in the last, let's say like, 12 months? Um, it's a great question. Nothing comes to mind per se. Um, you know, you can walk into a facility and within the first 30 seconds, you kind of know if it has it, yep. you know, you just feel it, you know, does it have the energy? Does it have the vibe? Can you feel positivity with regard to the staff being happy to be there? I mean, so, you know, there, there's so many models out right now that, um, you know, everybody and their brother and sister has a new, you know, new concept that they're trying to take to market. Mm -hmm. um, recently, I was uh, in Boston at uh, Everyone Fights, uh, mm -hmm. George Foreman's um, gym concept, and um, and I was blown away by that model and that pro product. Mm -hmm. um, it design elements. It it, um, it it felt dark, like a boxing gym, but yet light. It mm -hmm. felt you know, warm, but yet still a little, you know, 
boxing like um, the lighting, the the brick, the different areas for different activities. I mean, it was one of the most um, remarkable uh, design concepts for a new modality that I've seen. You know, the boxing inspired. Um, so that's something that if you're in in the Boston area or in Chicago at Midtown Athletic Club, they have an everyone fight studio there. That's something worth looking at because I think they really they really nailed a, an inspirational environment. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a lot of good product out in the market right now. You know, yeah. it, there's a lot of um, a lot of functional training product, a lot of boutique product, a lot of high value for low cost product, and and you know it's really causing the the high higher end higher cost multi sport club to to take a hard look at being on top of their game with yeah. regard to their programming and their communities within their club and so on. So, you know, I think right now it's, um, it's, if you are a consumer of fitness, uh, you have more variety and options than you've ever had before. Yeah. Well, do you think that's going to change? Do you think there's going to be consolidation or do you think that it's just going to continue expanding? Because I mean, I've listened to you on a couple other podcasts and you mentioned on the fitness business podcast, I think it was like their sixth, their sixth episode. Um, in the U S we've only really got like 25% max market share, like 75% of the U S is not consuming fitness in terms of like a membership or a paid for service. Do you view that those like segmenting of different brands or the availability of awesome experiences in the market. Do you think that continues and then more people come into the market or more consumers come into the market? Or do you think that there's consolidation and it's the same 25% being represented? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting point. Um, Ursa data shows that the number of fitness users mm -hmm. is at an all time high with regard to people that are consuming fitness without necessarily having a membership. Yep. Um, so that, that number, you know, don't quote me, um, exact, but I, but I think it, it was representative of, of at least a 13% growth, mm -hmm. uh, year over year. So, um, there's more people buying fitness without committing to a membership than there ever has been, but you're right about your number, you know, 25, 26% is still the, the, you know, point of saturation that we have in the U S with health club consumers, mm -hmm. uh, other markets, you know, are, are far behind that. For example, the top 10 cities in China only have, um, less than 5%, you know, all of China has less than 1%. Yeah. Um, uh, for the first time that I've seen the recent data, um, Sweden is outpaced the U S now. That doesn't percentage of uh, population that exercise. So the U S is now number two on that, uh, on that list. Um, so I, I think that to your question about consolidation, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but, but there is more and more product. And while supply has been growing, the number of facilities, mm -hmm. demand's also been growing the number of consumers, yep. but the supply has been outstripping the demand. So a lot of clubs throughout the U.S. have less members today than they had previously per location. Yeah. Even though there's more total health club consumers in the country. So, you know, if that continues to happen with more and more supply coming in at the same trajectory of outpacing consumer growth, um, you're going to see certain models strained financially. Um, 
And with the real estate uh, demand in major markets based on unemployment and economic growth, uh, that will drive rents up for retail spaces. And so, so now you've got a situation where supply is outstripping demand and there's pressure for rents to go up. Uh, so I think that is going to put pressure on some of the models that may not be as, um, as widely uh, accepted as others. Um, so I do think there'll be some type of consolidation or some players that expand and some players that, uh, that diminish or evaporate. Um, but, um, but I still think there's, there's growth in the foreseeable future. Um, there's just a lot of innovation right now with product and I, and I think that's going to continue for some time. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. And I think that like your point about people consuming fitness, not necessarily in the membership model is really interesting because I'm, I'm 30, I'm considered like a quote unquote millennial, um, as is my fiance, as is a, a, a lot of my friends. It seems like people are more hesitant to pull the trigger on a membership now than they are to just sample a ton of different things. So like almost a hybrid between, between class pass and a, a, a membership to a studio. Um, and you see a lot of companies coming out and offering, you know, like, a five pass to a gym, but then pairing that with another club, like it just seems like the way that people actually consume the product of fitness is going to change in the next few years into something that works more for the consumer than works more for brands. Yeah, I think that's happening not only in the fitness space, but in pretty much everything, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. How we, how we consume transportation, how we consume hotels, how we consume, um, you know, everything. And, and it, you know, look at a high-end club would do, say, of 175 a month, which would be, you know, a very high-end club. What, $20 a workout? You know, that's, that's only less than nine visits a month. So, you know, for, for, for that consumption, why, why wouldn't I just pay guest fees or pay class pass fees or, you know, and have the flexibility and variety? So you are seeing a lot of people um, opt for, I want to purchase my way, when I want it, the way I want it, and, and you know, eliminate all barriers to my experience, you know. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned the millennials, um, you know, their demand for experiences and life experiences versus, you know, possessions of, you know, I have a membership here, you know, I experience all of these things based on, on, on what my needs are and my desires and wants are at any given time. So, um, I think that, uh, that savvy operators are looking more and more at per class fees, drop-ins, you know, versus sign an agreement or a contract, you know, and we will EFT you a set amount per month, whether you use it or not. You know, I think there's, there's going to still be more and more um, pressure to be consumer uh, centric and flexible. And so this is the fitness retention podcast. We obviously care about retention. So keeping that in mind that maybe the way that people consume fitness is changing just at a high level and we can get specific afterwards. How do you approach retention and what do you think retention looks like in the next few years for just the industry in general? And then we can get specific. Yeah. I mean, retention, you know, I like you agree with your approach and your philosophy. It's not a program. It's not something you do. You don't do retention. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a way of, of being, it's a way of operating. It's a way of philosophy. It's a way of culture. 
Um, so for me, you know, retention really stems with um, a sequence of events. You know, are you selling to people that believe what you believe to quote, you know, Simon Sinek, you know, are you, are you getting consumers that are aligned with your brand, you know, with what you're trying to accomplish and the reasons you're doing what you're doing in, in, the, in, in the fitness space? Um, so that's a sales marketing member acquisition, really understanding your why differentiation in the marketplace you know, position. Mm-hmm. If you don't know that and a consumer comes in and becomes a member and you don't really know who you are and they don't know who you are, there's a higher likelihood that they're going to quit if they join at all to start with. Yeah. So the acquisition, philosophical differentiation, why kind of piece, you know, and then there's the onboarding piece. Most people um, fail at behavioral change before they succeed. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have parents or grandparents that smoke cigarettes, but um, you know, there's, there's a good group of people that quit cold Turkey when they quit, but most people quit many times before they quit, quit. Yeah. And, and most people that have started a, an exercise uh, adherence, you know, active lifestyle um, have gone through the roller coaster. You know, most people that have, have lost weight, have gained weight, lost weight, gained weight, you know, so failure and behavioral change is the norm, not the, not the exception. So the way we onboard people within that first 30 days to make sure they plugged in to understanding how to use the product, that they have some wins, you know, and the wins don't have to be fitness wins. Yep. You know, if I come to a club and, um, and I'm uncertain, unsure, not confident, and you just teach me how to use the lockers and you just teach me how to download, you download the mobile app. And you just teach me how to set up my MyZone belt. And you teach me how I check in with my fob. And you teach me those things the first visit. Those are all wins for me. You've made me more confident in using the product. And we take that for granted in our space that a lot of these people aren't confident. I've been in this industry, you know, Alex, more years than I care to care to share with you on this public uh, medium. But, uh, but uh, I am. Um, you know, I feel very comfortable walking into a fitness facility and going to the cardio area. Yeah. I feel very comfortable, you know, grabbing a preset, you know, barbell and doing curls and mm-hmm. grabbing some dumbbells and bands, you know. But if you put me, you know, in a deadlift area or worse, you put me in a Zumba class, I would be in the corner in the fetal position crying. You know, I would have zero confidence. Um, so as a health club consumer, I have areas of facility that, that scare me or make me uncertain or, or make me feel less than confident. So, so we've got to, we've got to hone in on those things with the consumer on that uh, onboarding phase and, and make sure that first 30 days, they kind of know their way around. Um, the next 31 to 90 days, I call that the, uh, the connection phase. This is where they form the habit and get plugged in. They become part of the cycling community or they become part of the yoga group or they become part of the aquatics master swim program. You know, they find their way, they, they find their, their area. Um, and then inevitably people evaporate and disappear and we've got to catch them. Um, statistics show that most people will have a change in their behavior 12 weeks before uh, they actually quit their membership. Yep. So if, if I can hone in on that four to five week period where they've stopped using the facility. So I've given myself some time for false positives. I still have time to intervene mm-hmm. and help get them relaunched before they've even made a decision to quit. So 
I'm trying, uh, I'm trying to, to really hone in on catching those people support system wise, um, before they, before they make a decision to leave. Um, you know, so, you know, it's a way of being, it's, it's a philosophy, it's hiring the right people, you know, here's so many people, you know, hire somebody and then they don't know why they don't smile and they, you know, make an excuse. Well, I thought they were just nervous when I was interviewing them. Yeah. You know, if somebody's not smiling and happy and effusive in the interview process, you can't expect them to be that kind of person when you put them at the desk after they start. So, yeah. you know, you really have to hire the people that have a service heart and that are really caring, you know, because without that authenticity, you know, you're never going to have any, any degree of success with retention. Um, much less culture. I agree. I, uh, when, when, so I secret shop a lot of gyms and one of the first things I look for is in the first 10 seconds, do I get a smile? I don't care who it's from. I don't care if it's from a member of the gym. I don't care if it's from the front desk person, someone who I hold the door open for, or they hold the door open for me. If people are generally smiling in the place that you work out, I think that's a really good metric that is really overlooked. Um, and like I say this on almost every podcast, every interaction is an opportunity to make someone's day better. And when you don't make someone's day better, you're probably hurting their customer experience. And a lot of what you said is like, it, it's completely true. And there's so much to unpack there. So my, my first question would be, when you are looking at your team and your staff, how do you help them understand maybe the person who isn't confident coming into the gym, right? Like maybe you and I can uncover that in a conversation, but not everybody has been in the industry for, for years, right? Like not everybody understands the questions to ask. So how do you teach your team to help understand the like confused or not confident customer. Right. Yeah. And, and some of that is, um, um, awareness training, right? Mm -hmm. Body language, uh, people's demeanor. And then there's other pieces where just generally checking in with people, you know, mm -hmm. a big believer in you should be listening 80% of the time and, and talking, you know, 20%. And, you know, if you're, nobody wants to be sold, but they want to, but everybody likes to buy, you know, so don't sell me some something, solve me something, you know, you've got to be solving something for this person. So the check-in questions, like if I were touring you through, through my facility, Alex, you know, you're fit, you look like you live the lifestyle, um, you know, and we get to the TRX area, you know, in one of the functional training spaces. Um, I might presume that you know all about TRX, mm -hmm. but I don't know. Mm -hmm. And if I presume that you don't and you do, then I'm going to annoy you because I'm not sharing anything relevant for you. So I might say, you know, Alex, you know, I know you've been a member of clubs. Are you, how familiar are you with suspension training and TRX? Mm -hmm. And you would answer, you know, I know, I've used it. I know a little bit about it, but, uh, but I'm not overly familiar with it. Yeah. It's pretty interesting how it all started. This guy, Randy, was a Navy SEAL. He created these, 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 this modality based on necessity when he was deployed, you know, using belt, you know, military belts, da-da-da-da-da. You're using your body as resistance, da-da-da-da-da, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check in with you to see what you know before I start telling you stuff that you may know or not know. Yes. So, so 
that kind of questioning, you know, where, you know, how familiar are you with suspension training and TRX? How familiar are you with the benefits of cardiovascular training with regard to burning fat? Mm -hmm. How familiar are you with um, the effectiveness of using heart rate training, you know, during your exercise? Hmm. You know, those kind of questions where I know what to give you, what not to give you based on what your baseline is. Yeah. So I think when you're trying to measure somebody's confidence or insecurity, some of those probing questions, you know, um, I don't want to, I don't want to solve it for you. I want to help you self-discover, yeah. you know, not only what the issues are, but also what the solutions could be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So the way that I look at, I look at that is I don't want to tell you your need. I want you to tell me your need. And I want to be able to match that with something that I can offer. Yeah. Matching a need to a service, like super basic sales concept or, you know, quote unquote sales. I, I totally agree. Like you can't tell people the aha moment. They have to have it themselves. Yeah. And Sandler, you know, there's Sandler sales system, which yep. I've never gone through it in its entirety, but I've seen pieces. They've got a good lesson on self-discovery and also getting somebody to articulate their position themselves. People, I think in, in, in the quote that I uh, saw on the video um, from the CEO, people remember 80 or 90% of what they say, mm -hmm. but they only remember 30% of what you say. Mm -hmm. So if I say something like, I really need to exercise and get more energy, I'm more likely to remember that yeah. than if you tell me, hey, exercise is great for giving you more energy. You know, so getting them to self-discover and calculate, as you put put it, uh, is critical in that in that building confidence stage. Yeah, I'm, and I, you know, we we talked a little bit before we started recording here. My background is in personal training, and the first question I ask anybody, no matter what, is how can I be the, as helpful, or how can I be the most helpful to you in our time together? And there, I have never had anyone be like, "Well, that's a weird question." You know, like you, you have to be able to offer some sort of help or guidance when someone is making a purchasing decision. And if you yeah. can't do that, you're not really offering anything. Yeah. <laughs> like even on a tour. Huh? Go ahead. And then also being able to read between the lines of what they say and being able to probe further. I might say, Alex, I need, you know, you to help me get motivated or to push me so I stay motivated. Mm -hmm. Well, that may be true, but it could also be, you know, I just want some companionship. I yeah. just want to be with another human being. I mean, the number of people that come to our clubs for social companionship, to be around other humans, you know, a lot of times we underestimate that impact, you okay. know, and as society gets more and more remote, people working from home, people on their devices, um, people, you know, telecommuting versus driving in the fact that being around other humans, we're social animals and we need that energy, you yeah. know? So, so sometimes uh, people might not come out and say I'm lonely or they might not come out and say, I just need to be around people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a really interesting point that no one has brought up on the podcast is like when I'm feeling like I have a crazy day, I don't want to go do a bunch of push-ups. I want to go to the gym because at least it's going to be a quote unquote distraction. You know, like I'm going to see 20 people that I know and recognize and there's something inherently valuable about that. Yep. I, yeah, I agree hundred percent. I, when I'm not traveling to our sites or traveling, you know, consulting or visiting clubs, 
you know, I'm in a home office and, mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes I, you know, I go to the bank and actually go inside more often than I, than I ever did before I was in a home office. I go to the grocery store more than I ever did just to get out and have that distraction and be around human beings. Yeah. It's interesting. I think a lot of people might not want to admit that though. Yeah. That's what I'm saying with regard to, um, reading between the lines and probing a little bit because they might say one thing and that might be underlying, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, okay. So let's shift to some of the big questions. Um, I'm going to start off with kind of a softball here because we both have a bunch of books in the background of our video. What's a book that you have read recently that had a big impact on you, Bill? Um, I, I, I do audible. So I'm always listening to different books. Um, there was a neat book, um, that, um, that had, you know, caused me to think about things in a, in a different way a little bit. Um, it was called exactly what to say mm -hmm. by Phil Jones. And basically it was a book about how you phrase, um, things that we say. Um, you know, I mentioned the importance of listening. You know, I believe that we get a lot more from somebody from listening than we do from, from, from talking to the, at them. Um, but, um, the power of words, you know, uh, Alex, you know, after I show you the facility and answer any questions, you know, I'm going to invite you to join, um, you know, if, if you feel that you're comfortable here, invite you to join is a lot different than I'm going to present you the membership options, right? I'd like to invite you to join. Yeah. So um, could you imagine yourself having a ton more energy? The way we say things. So this book was exactly what to say was really about how we phrase things, the power of language. And, and I found that to be a very interesting read. Um, um, Unselling was a book I read recently. Um, that's a great book that really talks about our industry. It, it doesn't talk necessarily about our industry, but it relates to our industry with regard to um, we're not selling, we're solving, you know, we're not selling. It's not a transaction. It's a relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that everybody that, uh, that generates revenue in our industry should read that book Unselling. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a good paradigm with regard to, uh, win-win and, and being a consultant with regard to the prospect. Hmm. Uh, but I'm a big, uh, I'm a big believer in, in continuously reading or listening. Um, and, uh, and I do that primarily through audible. Nice. Not sponsored. <laughs> Not sponsored. No. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, okay. What is something that every gym can do starting tomorrow to save time? So many people tell me that time is something that they struggle with or time management. They don't feel like they're getting the return on investment for their time. What's something that every gym can do to change that? Yeah, time is, um, you know, that always comes up for all of us, right? It comes up for prospects joining. It comes up for us operators. Um, I've got two answers and neither one of them is, is overly brilliant, but, um, Okay. You know, I'm a big believer in, in trying to accomplish one, two or three things every day, okay. even if they're small things. So by writing down either tomorrow, I want to get these three things done or in the morning, writing them down, but intentionality that no matter what happens today, I'm going to get at least one thing that moves us forward done. Um, we get so caught up in email and reaction and noise and, and we, you know, we get on this treadmill of just activity and, and lose sight of 
what's really going to generate the results. Um, in my membership course, I talk about the winning edge concept and, you know, little things have a huge impact, you know, by having those core couple things that we're going to get done every day, um, that has a huge impact because you're always going to sleep knowing that, Hey, I got something done today. It wasn't a complete, you know, waste of, of a day where sometimes we get, we get caught up and we don't even know what happened. We look back on the day and go, what, what did I do today? You know, what, what, what moved? So, so there's that. And I'm a big, big, big fan of the seven habits of highly effective people. Um, I think it's kind of a self development Bible that everybody should read. Um, Stephen Covey wrote it along with a lot of other great books, but you know, in there he talks about the quadrants. Um, and quadrant one is, is obviously urgent and important. And, uh, and quadrant two is not urgent and important. And, and so we have to, we have to try and get more time in quadrant two where we're preparing um, and, and building capacity to deliver so we're not just always reacting. Um, I think that in life we're much too reactive and the more technology we get, the more it seems we become even more reactive to, to devices and, and beeps and buzzes and vibrations and rings and, yeah. you know, so with, with, to get more time, I think you have to invest in how do you s develop systems to save time? Mm -hmm. For example, um, you know, and I'm not, I'm not coming on your podcast to, to, to shill for a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, suppliers, but, but Audible is great. <laughs> yeah, and, and you can go and ask them to sponsor the podcast now that you know, you've got these nice plugs. But, but programs like Medallia, where you're soliciting or Listen360, or you know, that measure customer experience. Mm -hmm. Those things require some time to, to follow up, but it allows you to operationalize feedback and solve things once and for all. Um, there's a club in, uh, in Pennsylvania their medallia feedback said, you know, Zumba classes are too loud. Decibels are off the chart. You know, we know that when we get a complaint in a club for loud music, you know, we may tell the instructor, hey, you got to complain again, turn the music down a little bit. The instructor turns it down for about, you know, three minutes, you know, then it's back up. And then the member goes, well, you said you were going to talk to the instructor and fix it. It didn't get fixed. You didn't listen. You didn't care. My feedback was worthless. Mm -hmm. But if you know that's a real issue, this particular club put ear, ear, um, earplugs in all their studios, hmm. disposable packets of earbuds or, or ear, earplugs that every member could take if they wanted to wear earplugs in their class. So they put a little note that based on feedback, you know, some of our high energy classes have higher volume music um, than some members prefer. So we've made these earplugs available to you. Yep. No one takes the earplugs, but you can no longer complain that the club didn't listen to you. Yeah. You with me? So they kind of solved that once and for all. So, so solving things once and for all, you know, Ohio only handle it once, mm -hmm. you know, don't create rework. If you have a problem, solve it once and once, once and for all. Um, I'm a big believer that you use technology to create, efficiency and time mm -hmm. so what technologies do you use to save you know time we're a, we're a google house right we use g suite we use google drive we can share documents we can share you know real time and, and stuff 
that saves a lot of time from you know emailing a, a version control issue back and forth on a document. So what can you use technology-wise to save time? And and you and you you do that basically by you know personal inventory. Where am I spending my time? You know how do I how do I use technologies to support that? How do I prioritize um, the important stuff so I'm not wasting time on the not so important stuff? I think you bring up a really important point. I mean, you brought up a few there, but when you ask for feedback, you have to be able to do something about it. And people, brands often think that just listening is enough. But what you do is if you get a customer to take their time to actually give you feedback and then you don't act on it, you alienate the customer further than if you didn't ask for feedback at all. Correct. I agree with that. You don't care. <laughs> yeah. I agree with that. Unless you're not going to act on it um, for whatever reason, but you still need to circle back and communicate. Yes. I, I appreciate your feedback. We decided to go in this direction. Here's what our thinking was, but at least acknowledge that you listened to the feedback, you know, versus I asked you, you never heard back and nothing changed. Yeah. And I think even just acknowledging like, Hey, you know, you took the time to tell us this. Unfortunately, we're going to go another direction with it, but that doesn't mean that we don't want you to tell us things in the future right. because we can't implement everything, but we want your voice to be important. And I think that that's just a, you know, like restaurants do that. They come out and they say, how is it? And I think that that element is missing oftentimes in fitness where you're just saying like, how are we doing? You know, like a really candid conversation. Um, okay, next question. Uh, kind of the big one on the show that people really love is what's something every gym can do starting tomorrow to have the long-term effect of increasing revenue or making more money? Great question. Um, Thanks. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, what I tell clients is, you know, there's a few things. Um, on a granular level, if we start with micro, analyze everything you're doing now expense-wise and, and revenue-wise. Like go through your P&L line by line. You know, here's our, here's our dues line. Okay, what's our average dues? You know, a lot of people don't look at their average dues as often as they should. So they think they're selling memberships at $75, but they have all these legacy members, so their average dues may only be 67 so, you know, go line by line. Here's our dues revenue. What's that make our average dues? Here's our payroll. What's our payroll as a percentage of revenue? How does that rate as far as where it should be? Mm -hmm. um, here's our CapEx. Here's our repair and maintenance. Really go through all those revenue lines and look at the metrics to see where they match up with how your business is, is um, set to be optimized. Mm -hmm. On the expense side, same thing, go through every line and when was the last time I talked to my towel vendor? When was the last time I talked to my paper products vendor? When was the last time I talked to my repair and maintenance company for equipment? Um, you know, there's, a, there's an old cliche, you got to ASK to DET. You know, a lot of times just asking yeah. for a better price or asking for better terms, people will accommodate. Um, and so, you know, looking at your business like a consultant would line by line and analyzing that, that usually generates some degree of pickup, um, be it in your, you know, workers' comp insurance, your supply vendors, what have you. So 
you know, that's, that's one thing. The other thing is, is as we talk about more supply, um, the importance of revenue per member becomes more and more critical than it ever has before. So if you follow the example you and I were talking about earlier, each box has less members because there's so much more supply, even though there's more consumers, then, you know, take that to the next level. I've got to generate more revenue per member mm-hmm. to improve my bottom line or to be able to continue operations at the level of service that I want to provide and so on and so on. So how can you increase revenue per member? You know, you can do ancillary services that don't have cost associated, mm-hmm. i.e. hydro massage beds or those kinds of things where you don't have the labor, you just have a one-time capital expense. Then you can sell enhancements to the membership that include some massages, or you can sell those as per, per visit or packages or what have you. Um, things like that. Um, things like grab and go food, things like bars, things like drinks and cooler type activities. We've never really been um, great in our industry at retailing. Yeah. And um, some of the boutiques are teaching us, you know, a lesson for those that have been around longer than the boutiques about retailing, you know, the amount of apparel that soul cycle and some of these boutiques, you know, um, active wear and uh, active leisure wear and, and brand extensions. So, you know, what can you do on the food and beverage retail? What can you do on services that enhance the membership and, and, um, and you can charge for that don't have labor associated, Mm-hmm. What can you do on, on your personal training? What can you do for um, lower cost options with group training? Um, what can you do with even lower cost options with boot camps? Mm-hmm. You, know, you, can, you can do individual training, buddy training, small group training, and then almost like classes, right? Boot camp type training where you have 15 people or what have you. So having programs that have the expertise um, and engagement that are fee-based but have them set for every, every tier of, of potential member. Um, some operators are like, well, if I do a boot camp with 15 or 20 people, that's going to cannibalize my small group training revenue. And if I do small group training, that's going to cannibalize my personal training revenue. You know, I don't buy that. You know, people, people have their patterns of what they enjoy. And by having those options for, at different price points, you're going to expand the market, not, not, just share the same consumers. Will you have some that cross over and go to the less expensive? Sure. But, um, but as a way of doing business, it makes you more appealing to a broader spectrum of people based on affordability. So really looking at the revenue per member uh, strategy and what's available. Uh, those are some of the things I would, I would, I would do today if I wanted more money tomorrow. That's um, it's interesting because I had, I have, you know, like uh a lot of conversations with gyms or clubs where there might be like two or three of them. And what, I'm not going to name it, but we'll just use like a, a, a CrossFit model gym here in San Francisco. And someone comes in for a drop-in. The drop-in is $30. They want to prove that they've been to said famous gym. They buy a $25 shirt and a $5 shake after the workout. That was a $60 visit. Right, it probably cost you five dollars for the shirt, one dollar for the drink, and pay the coach five bucks for every person in the class. You just made fifty bucks, right? Like it, the exactly your point about boutiques crushing it is that 
you have to actually have something that people want to wear and put on their body. But, you know, that's a huge part of it. So how do you, how do you connect with the consumer to make them actually want to spend more money versus just having a shirt that says whatever. And then there's no connection to the actual brand. So I think the branded experience retail opportunity is huge for gyms as long as they actually understand why their customers buy. Yeah. And, and I could go all day with you on this topic because you know, I, I saw the wheels turning. I feel like I'm uh, either I'm preaching to the choir or you're preaching to the choir. I'm not uh, sure. But there's a lot of alignment. Um, but yeah, you know, um, it can't be about the, the me and yep. my brand and my company. It's got to be about you mm-hmm. and what's important to you. And, you know, I don't want to wear a big shirt with Bob's gym and Bob's gym's website. Right. You know, I want something that that's, you know, you know, compelling, like our marketing department just launched um, a new camp mug and a new shirt that we have on our online store. Uh-huh. And, and the, the branding on it is um, aspire to inspire or um, yeah, aspire to inspire. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, but it's really fashionable. It's really cool. It's really about, a brand identity with regard to a lifestyle, not about us, you know, I'm sure if we have active wellness on the shirt or not, but, um, but yeah, it's gotta be about the consumer. And I think there's a lot we can learn about retailing, um, you know, impulse purchases, easy grab and go accessible, um, you know, having a different t-shirt every quarter or different apparel piece or, you know, to where people want it, you know, Oh man, that's cool. I want that, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, but I think there's a lot of opportunity with revenue per member yeah. and, um, and really, you know, diving in on that. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of the big, big questions that I have. Um, where can people find you, Bill? What, what is the best way to get in contact with you to learn more about act, um, your suite of companies? <laughs> you have consultants, you have gyms, you have management companies. How, how can people find out about you? Yeah, there's there's really only two. There's Active Wellness, which um, which we we manage, you know, sites throughout the country, and then there's BMC Three. So um, you can reach me at Bill McBride at BMC Number Three dot com, mm-hmm. um, and um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, so if you're uh, if you're in the space, um, or even if you're not, if you'd like to connect on LinkedIn. Uh, reach, reach out to me there and, uh, and then we can, we can connect and, uh, I'm always looking to expand my, my network. And, um, you know, the more people I talk to, like, uh, like Alex right here, the more I learn. So, um, before the actual podcast, we were, we were talking quite a bit and we probably went 20, 30 minutes before we even thought about, Hey, we should be recording the podcast now. Um, uh, but I love to, uh, I love to meet people and, and, uh, and continuously learn and, and see how we can, we can get better as an industry. I'm a big believer that uh, a rising tide, you know, raises all boats and, uh, and we all got to be working together. Um, you know, one of the things that, that still bugs me is, is our high attrition rate and the, the low amount of penetration that we have. Um, and also, you know, opportunities for the private sector to do more, to reach out to, uh, to the underserved populations in our communities. Yeah. Um, um, can I ask what the three in BMC three stands for? Yes, it's uh, my real name is William Joseph McBride the third, 
-hmm. So it's kind of my initials, but it's Bill McBride um, uh, Consulting, Coaching, and Club Management. Uh, That's what the consultancy is about. So Bill McBride, uh, Consulting, Coaching, and Club Management. So we went a little bit different avenues. I got my... uh... My three-line tattoo because I'm Alexander Glendening Armstrong III. I thought that might be it, but um, we have something else in common. Yes, yes. Um, Very good. Um, Well, it's been a pleasure uh, spending time with you, Alex. I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing you at some upcoming uh, trade events that we were discussing earlier, and and I appreciate you uh, you giving me some time to be on your show. Of course, indeed. We'll we'll wrap there. Bill McBride, thank you for coming on the Fitness Retention Podcast. Thank you. All right. Alrighty, that was my episode with Bill McBride, CEO of Active Wellness and Active Sports Club. Great episode, in my opinion, of course. I feel like after that discussion, I've known Bill for years, even though we've only known each other for a couple months. He's really easy to talk to and very open and honest, which is what makes for a great podcast. So thank you, Bill, for coming on the show. And um, I'm really glad that we got to bring some of that knowledge to the listeners. Really important stuff. Also want to mention that I will be at URSA the second week of March. I'm really stoked. It's my first time going. I would love the opportunity to meet there. And if you would like to do that, shoot me an email at A-G-Y-M-O-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. That's a gmotion at gmail.com. Also want to announce that we've picked a winner for the sweepstakes. We're giving away three hours of consulting for two brands that I am stoked to help out. That's my goal when I work with companies is to help them, to help them understand their customers, to help them get a handle on retention and kind of master what they can do in terms of customer experience. So I'm really stoked to be working with them. If you would like to learn more about working together, also send me an email at agemotion at gmail.com or find me on LinkedIn. I do a ton of stuff there. Also want to say thank you for listening. I really appreciate the podcast is actually growing at 30% month over month, which is huge. So thank you. Keep listening. If you've got feedback, give it to me. I want it. I want to make the show better. All right. With that, that is the Fitness Retention Podcast and me, Alex Armstrong, signing off. See ya.